0: I really gave people more leadership roles. So I did allow, as we went along, seniors who'd been around, especially later on, that knew what they were doing to take over 15 minutes of an offensive line meeting. All right, you're on. You're going to go over the blitzes for all these young people in the room. So when I told the coaches, if you've got a fourth-year defensive back who knows coverages as well as anybody in the NFL, give him 15 minutes in the meeting and let him run the meeting.
1: How does understanding the community you serve add to some longevity for you at that institution? How does serving create a synergistic effect with buy-in? And what can you do to create more leaders? How do we find better balance in this profession? Those are all questions we dive into today with retired head coach of the Coast Guard Academy, Bill George. Coach George spent 21 seasons as the head football coach at the U.S. Coast Guard Academy. He helped build leaders and use football as a vehicle to do that. He recently wrote a book titled Home Fields, Coast Guard Academy Football Coach recounts the unfulfilled lives of World War II. We're excited to dig into a number of topics today with Coach and we'll share our winning edge takeaways from this conversation following the interview. What you see on tape is a direct reflection of what you teach and how you teach. Video is important, but if you don't teach well, you're not going to like what you see on your video. First Down Playbook has been helping coaches teach better for 13 years. It allows you to present installs, playbooks, and practice cards in half the time with NFL quality. Coaching tools like video pairing, a player app, practice schedules, and wristband sheets have made First Down Playbook a program management system with everything in one place. If you're in a position of leadership with your football program, receive a free one-week look at First Down Playbook. Call them at 512-814-6158 or visit them on their website or social media. Mention Coach and Coordinator Podcast or use the coupon code COACH24 to receive a $100 discount off the normal $700 First Down Playbook team membership price. Links and the phone number are in the show notes. As coaches, we know that some of the biggest hurdles to our team's success can come from off the field. Your team needs support to tackle the endless list of expenses, uniforms, training equipment, travel, and more. But raising that money can feel like a full-time job. Thankfully, there's Vertical Raise. Vertical Raise is the premier online fundraising platform using innovative technology to create the easiest and most efficient system available. Raise more money in less time with a local fundraising coach who works with your team every step of the way to customize the ideal fundraiser. With options for online donations, digital discount cards, premium product sales, and even spirit shops, Vertical Raise has top of the line solutions for every fundraising style. To find out more, visit verticalraise.com and we'll get you connected with an exclusive offer on your first fundraiser. On today's podcast, We're going to talk about the idea of understanding the place you're at and the people that you serve, how football can be used as a vehicle to do bigger things, and how we maybe need to step back and realize that there's other things in this world besides football because we get so ingrained in it, in this game, and what we do in our profession as coaches, sometimes those things go by us. But joining me to discuss all of that is retired head coach, at the Coast Guard Academy, author of the book Home Fields, which we'll talk about today, Bill George. Coach, great to have you here on the podcast. You and I have been talking for some time. This has been something we've had in the works, so I'm glad that we're finally able to sit down and talk some ball here.
0: Keith, it's an honor for me to talk to you about, you know, coaching at the Coast Guard Academy and uh, certainly about my book, but to, to talk to coaches in general.
1: Coach, I know as we were going over some things before we got started here, one of the things that really resonated with me and something that you said is that you know you were able to be at the Coast Guard Academy and be in a u- unique position to be there as long as you have uh, really nobody has been at an academy a service academy uh, as long as you other than maybe Fisher DeBerry, but the main reason you were able to stay there. And I think this applies not just to the academies. I think it applies to high schools. I think it applies to the college level. I think in some ways it could even apply to the pros is that you really understood what that organization, what that institution was about. you understood the people who were there and how you needed to serve them. And, you know, football, uh, while it may seem like it when we watch it on a friday saturday or sunday there's there's some uniformity to it but the the people our institutions the communities we serve are all diverse in some ways and i think if you're going to be successful if you're going to have longevity in this profession especially at one place you have to know that very well and that's something that you were in tune with
0: yes you know A long time ago, before I became head coach at Coast Guard, I was at the United States Military Academy Preparatory School, which is a prep school for West Point. They each have them. and You know, an individual there said to me, remember something. This is the military's academy. You can do all the coaching you want. And I and I got to Coast Guard and I remembered that. And and you all of us, we all get gung ho and we're now a head coach for the first time or we're even an assistant at at a place, new school, high school, college. But I learned very early on that this place, the United States Coast Guard Academy, was producing leaders to protect our nation. They were producing officers, young men and women. And I used the sport of football to make them better officers. And when I ingrained that, that theory, that logic, the the military also, the military leaders, the admirals, the captains, the, the enlisted, they also felt that that was the way you run a football program. And I think that had to do with my longevity to always say, this is about a place where we're trying to make America safer by training officers. And we have this fantastic sport of football, which really does train leaders. And it certainly helps training officers. So I ingrained that in as a base of our thing. We're going to be using this. And and I think that the Cadets who struggle through academics and struggle through a, through a National Service Academy really enjoyed that way of doing it, putting them first academically and trained as leaders.
1: The biggest thing is you understood the goals of the school. If you were in a position to be able to take over a program, really doesn't matter what level it's at. Thinking of that now, knowing that that was a key thing for you, what's the recommendations? How would you approach that? Or how would you recommend that a young coach approach that as he's getting ready to take over a program so that there is that, that mesh between the coach and the program he's building and the place that he's building it. Right. Cause you have to really, I think, as I said, build it for that
0: place. Yeah, it's a, that's a tremendous thing that I think coaches learn as they get older. I certainly did. I think it's really important that wherever you go as a coach assistant or head coach, And I don't think you do this as a young person and I didn't do it as a young coach. I I will say that you look and say, what are the goals of these people? Okay. What are the goals of these young people? If it's an Ivy league school there, maybe their goals are to become doctors and that stuff. If it's a young person who just wants to get to college education, how do you get them to college education? If it's a young person in high school and they want to get their footing on the ground and, and their life back in order, then you look at that goal. And I think when you're a young coach, all you look at is those scoreboards and those results and those touchdowns. And then as you get older, and, and certainly not much older, but as you you know, progress in, in the sport of football, I think it's important that you look at the people first, not the scoreboard first, but the people and what the academic institution is trying to achieve at that place. So I think it shifts from, okay, I got to win football games as a coach to, hey, what's important to this this person's life?
1: In looking at that side of it, you mentioned to me that really this is the vehicle. What we're doing as coaches is a vehicle to make a better person. Football will help make a better person. In your case, uh, with what your guys wanted to do and the goals that they had, it certainly was about making a better leader, making a better officer. You know, knowing that it's a vehicle, what was that approach to? I guess, be able to, to bring that into everything you were doing. Again, you know, we we get blinders on, we get tunnel vision on, got to win the game this week. And, you know, you can, in some ways, forget about those things. Or uh, I think what might be better said is you can set your systems up to make sure that that stuff is built in. What was your approach to that?
0: One of the things is you have to all, it, it certainly at an academy, we, we, we'd have rough seasons, but I noticed that, if I didn't get too down on these, I'm not saying you don't get down when teams don't do the right thing, but if you stayed positive, if you found positive things, and, and I, I know in a world where everything is, we're, we're in the in the National Football League playoffs, and all that really matters is who goes on to the Super Bowl, but I ha- you had to find positive things even in defeat. And if you didn't get down on people, if you made them believe that they could, you know, or... or, or st- told them you were struggling alongside of them in a loss by the next Tuesday, guys at the coast guard Academy were ready to rally back even through tough seasons. And I understand a lot of that is the personality of a cadet, but I, I I learned as I got older to stay more positive, to find success, even to find a, you know, a silver lining in a cloud, let's say. So it's more than who has the most light bulbs on the scoreboard you know we we battled we we played hard we fought here's what was done good you know great job and here's what we did wrong let's correct those mistakes but try to stay you know on a positive note and and just to keep kids engaged to keep challenging you know it's it's tough at academy look at the records of all the academies this year i mean i know i know they had good records and they played hard but it's a tough struggle for any academy to you know play football
1: so when we think about the academies we think about a very regimented way of doing things and as you were you were talking about some of those things there it reminded me of a book I'm I'm currently reading um, by Michael Lombardi called Football Done Right and in it he talked about Earl Blake who was you know a longtime coach at Army inspired a number of coaches had a guy there an assistant there by the name of Vince Lombardi working for him and you know told Vince you know he had to tone it down that he was, You know, he's too hard on these guys, too rough on these guys that he wanted, to, you know, a, a little bit of a different approach, an intellectual approach to doing things. And we see those approaches to two very diverse approaches. Uh, guys can make them work well. What was your approach to, you know, again, as you said, making making the best leaders out of these guys that they could be using football as that vehicle to make them better officers and help them launch their careers in the Coast Guard?
0: The first thing I, I, I learned early on is not to set a lower bar. So although Vince Lombardi and Red Blake may have toned it down a touch, I don't think they ever lowered the bar. So you keep the bar up there higher. Hey, we're still shooting to try to win the league. We're still shooting to try to make the NCAA playoff bids in Division three. That's our goal. We want to get there. So you, I didn't do that. I did mellow a little, as all coaches do, with the yelling part. I I think that was, you know, I, I became these people responded more to correction than they did allowed correction. So I, I learned that as I went, you know, I, I think that I just really wanted to focus that you're getting as much out of this game of football as you are any other place on this academy campus. And I said many times, there's no toughness building here at the Coast Guard Academy. It's done down here in Toughness is a part of life. So I tried to stress that being tough. I don't mean, you know, dirty on on the field. I meant tough and and legging it out and gutting it out and all the things you do. The other thing I learned as I went along that I really gave people more leadership roles. So I did allow, as we went along, seniors who'd been around, especially later on, that knew what they were doing to take over 15 minutes of an offensive line meeting. All right, you're on. You're going to go over the blitzes for all these young people in the room. I let people who were seniors, and I don't know if I ever did would have had ever seen that before. So when I told the coaches, if you've got a fourth year defensive back who knows coverages as well as anybody in the NFL, give him 15 minutes in the meeting and let him run the meeting. So we did that in a sense where we said, Hey, this is what you're going to do. You're the senior, you know, these things. And so I think that was part of it. And, uh, you let guys have freedom when they want to talk and speak and do those things. You know, football, football at, at any other college is the hardest part of the day. At these five national service academies, it's the it's the easiest part of the day. So you want to make it fun also.
1: You know, it goes back to that idea of really understanding the place you're at and the parameters set for those guys, whether it's you're at a high academic institution uh, that that requires, you know, those guys. I mean, you don't. You, you might not even get close to your 20 hours, right? You, you have to be efficient with their time and take those things into consideration. I think when you look at those things from that perspective and understand the place, understand the people, I think you're more able to get their buy-in, to get them to really learn things, as you said, where those guys can get up and teach and lead and you can trust them to do that, that it just becomes a synergistic effect.
0: You're 100% right on saying you get them for the buy-in. Once you, once we had young players and and they understood that our goal was to get them to graduate and be officers, which was their goal at an academy, they bought into football. Once, once I said, my goal is for you to become an officer, okay, forget about everything else. You tell me what you need, I'll help you. I'll put that a number one priority. You know, we had a rule. If you were a freshman and you walked up to me before practice, you couldn't send me a note, you had to come see me, and said, coach, I need to go see a professor. I would let any freshman do that. I probably would let any upperclassman do it, but it's mostly the freshmen. Once we made that rule of freshman release for academics, you know, everybody bought into our system. And you know, once once we did that and said, You have the ability to do that. I know it's hard to say, okay, you got a freshman who's your second string left tackle, and he knows all he's got to pick up all the blitzes and he's got to know everything. And here you are, letting him go up the chemistry review on a on a Wednesday at four o'clock. But once we did that, everyone bid in. So they bid into that. We were trying to make their goal. Number one goal. They're no I mean, let me not do it too complicated. The number one goal was to get you to become an officer. It isn't for me to become a fabulous coach and win football games.
1: So I, I have to ask a little bit on that approach because I love it. That idea that they actually had to come to you, uh, not send you a note. And, you know, you look at, you know, our, our ways of communicating today instantaneously with text. And, uh, you know, heck, you know, we didn't used to have phones with us at all the time. I mean, I fought that forever, but now we do. Do you still think there's a value in saying, you know, to, to a coach like that, I've been at those places where, you know, a lab comes up or something that is out of their control, but instead of just sending me an email or a text, but show up, spend the five extra minutes to get in front of me and let me know and talk about it. Is there value to doing that today?
0: Yeah, I I think it is. It's, it's, it's making you accountable. You know, we had an honor coach. Suppose a kid overslept and said to me, you know, I was up in chemistry review and uh, it never said that to me. And an admiral walks down on the, on the uh, field and says, where's Joe Smith? Oh, you know, he's up in chemistry. review. I was up there. I didn't see him. So, that tied in a little bit to the honor code, so they came to me in person. But again, you're right. It is about accountability, just discussing it. I also wanted to know why, you know, your chemistry teacher says you're an A student. What's what's going on? Why, are you, why do you need to miss because of chemistry or anything? It also gave me another line. There's a military re- regime, just like there is at a private college. You're only going to see guys at 4 o'clock. So if I don't see you in practice, I'm going to see you for five minutes that day. And you can come to me and just say, coach, I need to go to chemistry review. Wonderful. You know what I mean? So I think that was another thing just to make sure everything was okay. You know, people are a long way from home and people have a lot of problems, whether long way from home or not. So I also wanted to make sure that it was chemistry that the kid was bothering the kid. Maybe it was something else. So it gave me a chance to talk to someone that day for for two minutes and hey i need to, you need to go to chemistry is everything else going on good so it gave me that one-on-one contact at a place where there's everything is scheduled from 6 a.m till midnight you know between study hours and marching and military training and all that
1: i've always been interested in the use of technology to make our jobs more effective so i'm excited to continue sharing modern football technology with you here on the podcast This innovative system leverages tendencies to improve self-scouting, game planning, and in-game decision-making at the speed of the game. Modern football stands out because it's a battle-tested platform used by teams at all levels, like four-time national champion Bishop Gorman, the five-time California state champion Folsom Bulldogs, six-time Texas state champion Lake Travis, Cal football, and the CFL's Gray Cup champions, the Montreal Alouettes. So book a demo today to see why these teams trust modern football technology. Visit www.teammofo.com/demo and mention Coaching Coordinator Podcast or use the coupon code CC10 to receive 10% off your first year. You know with all of this it seems that you've you kept really grounded in there, this is more than football uh, but you did write a book, Homefields, and you said you did characterize yourself as somebody self-centered in there. And, and certainly, there's lessons that come through that we want to talk about. But first, for our audience, if you, if you would talk to us a little bit about that book and why you wrote it and what it's about,
0: you know, it's a book about family caregiving, coaching college football, and it is about, as the subtitle says, you know, the unfulfilled lives of World War II. You know, I I was wrote it over a six week period. I, did, I I wrote it over a decade, but the book takes place in a six week period. My wife and I, you know, uh, adopted very late in life, our first and only child. She is now four and a half. My father is on my couch dying in hospice care. And I am obsessed with beating the Merchant Marine Academy, RL tribal in a football game. He starts talking about his childhood in an immigrant village on Cayuga Lake in Myers, New York. Where where everyone grew up and went off to World War II. and and some came home and some didn't in the tragic lives. So I go back and forth in this book, the relationships of my daughter and my father, the relationships of me with the with the Coast Guard Academy and football, and certainly as he went on hospice and they they cut out his meds, everything became clearer. And and we had households of people, so it was it was a caregiving thing. And he talks about these people who grew up you know, in this simple life back in the 30s. And then all of a sudden, they find themselves on the center stage, you know, of the world. And so I combined all three. And it's a book about relationships, the people he grew up with, as he recalls it, as well as my daughter and him as he's dying. And and one of the first people was a Coast Guard attorney, uh, Admiral Sandra Stowes, an admiral, you know, took me under her wing and helped me find a publisher, because she liked the book. But but a, a an attorney read the book and he said, you know, you've hung yourself out there. You've made yourself an anti-hero in your own football memoir. And I I was, I did center it, that I was a football coach as all these other meaning of life things are going on. I'm only obsessed with this football game.
1: There's a lot of lessons in, in reading this type of story. We do tend to get caught up in what we do and get tunnel vision. And... uh intentionally or unintentionally make decisions to miss out on other things in life uh, I, I told you for me there came a point when I needed to step back and say, yeah, I've missed too much of my kids growing up. Uh, I'm not seeing them do their thing and you know even though this doesn't feel to me to be what I want to do, I need to do it what kinds of things you know I, I do want coaches to read this book, but what will they take away from it? What are some of the main things that are going to come through for them that, you know, maybe aren't evident right now?
0: Well, certainly if you read about the people that uh, grew up, what my dad recalls, you know, they went off, they had simple, wonderful lives. Some went on and lived long and some did not get to fulfill their dreams. And that's what we see every day, tragedy around us where lives are shortened. And in this case, it was that so it is about lives that don't get to fulfill their dreams coast guard academy football coach recounts the unfulfilled lives of world war ii is a lot of the basis there's a line in the book referring to what you said where it's the week before the game i think it's the sunday before the game and my wife comes over to the computer at 10 o'clock in the morning on a sunday and says you're watching film on the computer at 10 a.m you're going to skip church your four-year-old daughter is playing with your dying father on the couch over there, and you're going to leave the house in an hour and not come back till midnight because you're going to be at the film all day. You're removed from the world that is around you. You know what I mean? And I think that can happen. You know, you just get removed, and that's that's the part of me that I wanted to show. And I don't think I overdid it, but you know, it, it's true. We get wrapped up in our own world and we don't see the suffering world around us, and maybe. That's also what I wanted to bring out in the people that that he grew up with, you know, that he lived with that that sorrow his whole life. And uh, of people who went off to World War II, some who came back and some who did not.
1: i looking that looking at, at that idea of what we do. And I mean, the, I think that story of a Sunday, uh, probably every single one of us has lived that numerous times, you know uh good intentions on a sunday maybe to do some of those things with the family and church like you're supposed to do but you end up watching film and all those kinds of things and we have seen though really i think the pandemic really offered a different way of looking at things because of the technologies that evolved to connect us when we weren't allowed to connect i would say that in some regards Maybe we've just added more to our plate because we have all these technologies instead of taking it away. But what would be your approach today with what you have available to be able to get more of you know, your, your personal life, more involved in, in your personal life by saying, you know what, we have uh, better tools today to do this. What kinds of things would you do? What would you look to implement in terms of, I guess, creating a better way for you and your staff and especially the families that are involved in this as well?
0: You know, I, I think that I grew up in that era where, you know, you're in the football office all day Sunday, and it was hard for me to get away from that. And I, you know, I felt, you know, if, if we weren't doing that, then we weren't doing things right. And I hear a lot of coaches now change that. Even, you know, I went to the coaches convention in Nashville, and I heard a lot of coaches who certainly were younger than me, but not a lot younger. And they'd said they had changed their lives. I think the Sunday, Monday thing. Is, is the biggest thing. The hours spent coming home late on Sunday, spending the whole Sunday in the office. And that's one of the things that, as I looked forward to, to retirement, one of the things I set my goals for was, I thought I spent so much of my life in the football office on a Sunday and a Monday. I mean, I understand and at the academy, you know, you didn't get off the field till later and they, they ate their meal later. So you weren't getting home till later every night, but, but that's the biggest thing I would tell these young people. And, and certainly, I wish I had done it, too, in later years. I just didn't have the confidence that I could do it, is to change those long Sunday film sessions. Can you watch more film at home? Can you do it for an hour or two? Can you grade the film differently? You know, instead of spending these long Sundays and Mondays in the office till late ten, eleven at night, that's the number one thing I would change.
1: When you look back at all those hours, I know I have my own opinion on this, too, and I think we all get get caught up in that idea. We're not going to leave any stone unturned. Uh, we're going to outwork our opponent, which just seems to be a war of attrition, right? Because yeah. what does that mean? But how would you refine things? You said maybe not watch not watch as much film. I've heard coaches talk about different approaches to it. You know, even with what they share with their players. I mean, with anything, right? There's you can overdo it, right? There can be too much, which you know, paralyzes thought processes, as well as taking up time. Where do you think you would find some efficiencies in, in looking at a better way of doing things, spending your time on a Sunday in the office, etc? Well,
0: I think, you're again, probably trying to watch as much film as you can at home, instead of the travel time in making your hours shorter, you know, years ago, I think when I was an assistant at Ithaca, a, a friend of mine called me up, and said, "You know, what are you doing up there in the office?" I said, "Well, we're meeting. We're doing football. We're watching this. We're meeting. yeah And and the person said to me, "You know, the human brain really doesn't work after ten o'clock at night. You know, and it, 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 it dwindles from about seven on. <laughs> and so that's a true. And I've noticed that in retirement as well. It works much better in the day. So." You know, I think of all these night things. Are you just sitting in the office because you think the other coach is sitting in the office at 10 at night? And are you not leaving? Or so I think if you can assign people to do, I know it's a work from home environment in our world now, and you can't do that coaching football, but if there's a way to change the Sunday to, you know, everybody grade the film on their own, or maybe even do a Zoom call quickly for two hours in your living room for a meeting. And so you can walk out and jump, you know, play baseball with your son in the backyard instead of, you know, driving down there and, and those things. And the same thing with, okay, we got to eat in Sunday and Monday nights and we waste two hours ordering dinner and two hours eating dinner and what a waste, let's get this done. And we should be eating dinner with our families, you know? And so I think I, I certainly would do that. I would arrange some kind of more zoom meetings like we're doing right now. And, and, and say to people, I also think you have to say this, you're you're in charge of the defensive line and i and i didn't overlook my coaches at all that much but i did look at the film but i don't know if we all have to, if i have to come in and sit with the defensive coaches just grade the film and we'll talk about it and all that and i'm not saying cut out film at all i'm just saying the hours in the office you know were right especially in division three i had you know uh, a retired division three head coach don miller coaching with me you know and he was older and i had a Jay Driscoll was a local English teacher. I mean, how many how many hours can I keep a local English teacher in the office on Monday night? Yeah. So those kind of things. So I I, de- I definitely think there's a better way to do it. And I think I went through that era where you're keeping up with the Joneses and you got to be in the office day and night and no one can get the flu. You can't get the flu if you're a football coach. You got to be in and I think that's wrong. I think that that's yeah, the people who get hurt are your children and your family.
1: Yeah, there's a lot we need to look at and examine and and always be asking, why are we doing things? And how can we do it better? The reflection part is such a big part of this game. If you just keep blindly doing things the same way, uh, one, you might not be doing it in the best way. And two, you might be Hurting the other people around you. Um, I think this requires balance, and that is probably the most difficult thing as a coach. It was the most difficult thing for me. It wasn't learning the X's and O's or spending time watching film or spending time with with the players. I mean, sometimes you know it was almost too giving. Uh, I, I think coaches are very giving, but I think you know it, it is, as you said, remembering some of those things and. I guess at the end of it, when you write your own memoirs, not having to go back and paint yourself as, as the uh, the antihero in those things, correct? Yeah, you know,
0: and it, it's true. And again, I know the book goes back and forth, and I think I managed to pull this off. But there's a scene in the book, if I might, you know, be so bold as to talk about it, where these two guys are are 18 years old and they're about to go off to war, and it's it's early December, and they're they know they're going to go eventually soon, and and uh, They're watching an ice skater. I won't tell much, but uh, skate across a frozen Creek. And one says to the other one, you know, time is moving like that frozen Creek below us and the other one says, what do you mean? It's moving like he's, we see the ice and we don't think time is moving, but that water underneath the ice is moving and it's gone before we know it. And we don't see time moving. And I think that's a, a, a big thing that I started to reflect on as a coach. Time is moving. It's moving for our children. It's moving for us. We're not guaranteed an infinite number of hours of time. So I think if you can think it that way, you may put into perspective that it's it's important to put our families first.
1: Definitely coaches. The the book is home fields. Coast Guard Academy football coach recounts the unfulfilled lives of world war two. You can find it at homefieldbooks.com. You can find it on Amazon. We'll put the link to that in our show notes as well. Coach, I really appreciate, one, you've taken the time to write a book like this. Uh, I I think, you know, it captures a lot there. My grandfather was a World War II vet, and I know uh, how much sacrifice, you know, that generation put into uh, making this country what we expected it to be. And so I appreciate you writing it from that perspective. But I also appreciate uh, what went into it in, you know, showing the thought process of a coach and, and some of the things that are, you know, we all struggle with. So um, thank you again for your time. Thank you for writing the book and look forward to talking with you more in the future.
0: Absolutely. Thank you very much. It was an honor to talk with you, Keith. I I really appreciate this. And, you know, if any coaches ever want to get a hold of me or talk or anything, I I, I'll talk about it. When you retire, you tend to babble on because you got no one to talk to. So anybody wants to talk about anything, I'm open.
1: Awesome, thank you, Coach. Thank you, Keith. Here are winning edge takeaways and ideas for implementation. One, understand the community you serve. Don't undervalue the needs of the people who you, who are part of your football community, both the players and the institution. There's something unique there beyond winning football games, and if you can tap into that, your time at that institution can be more impactful and fulfilling. That's exactly what Coach. George did at the U.S. Coast Guard Academy. Two, give people leadership roles. The more leaders you have, the stronger the culture of your program will become. It shouldn't all fall on the coaches or a select group of players who are your captains. Everyone has the ability to lead in some way. Be sure to find ways to tap into it. And three, always be looking for the best way to do things and take the other people that your job affects, primarily your family and your coaches' families, into account. Finding a way to cut a day of commuting or staying at the office for a meal gives time back to your families. We have so much technology at our fingertips today, so we want to make sure that we use it to make our lives better and the work we do more efficient and effective. Coach George is a former D3 coach like myself. D3 football is near and dear to my heart, and for that reason, we're excited to present the D3 Top 25 Clinic. With over 50 speakers from the top 25 teams and statistical leaders, it's headlined by the D3 national champions at SUNY Cortland, head coach Kurt Fitzpatrick and his coordinators will be presented. We have an exciting lineup of coaches sharing ideas which help their teams, units, and position groups excel and become the best at what they do in the country. I'll put the link in our show notes, but I also encourage you to find the link from our speakers that you know as any ticket purchased through their link allows them to share in the ticket revenue. It's a new model we are presenting with an opportunity for the coaches to capitalize more on sharing their time and their intellectual property. We'll be adding more speakers and topics to the website over the next few days, but we have over 50 coaches who will be presenting. Sign up, more coaches from your program, and save. link to the website is d3football.coachesclinic.com. Be sure to follow all we're doing on coachingcoordinator.com and sign up for our weekly tip sheet and follow us on Twitter at Coach K Grabowski.